0: Father, we're so grateful for this morning. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful that we have been called in Christ Jesus as your people. And we beg of you, Father, this morning to have mercy on us, to help us, to to speak to us, to allow, give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we would not be self-deceived but self-aware, that we would understand ourselves and we would understand our hearts and we would know what is going on and where it is we cover and and uh, try to disguise and, and make ourselves look good to others. I pray, Father, that we would, we would be opened up before you and received from you bountifully. For we ask this in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we walked through Genesis chapter 3. And if you recall, the whole topic of that sermon is what sin does. What does sin do? What is it? What does it do? And what happened when Adam and Eve, the moment they ate of the fruit, he says, you shall surely die. Sin brings death. And with death comes shame and guilt and insecurities and meaninglessness and purposelessness and all kinds of issues in the life. If you were to look at the world and you were to look around you and you are to see all the issues in the world, if you were to turn on your news or open your tablet or your phone and look at the headlines, what is that telling you? The world's just a wonderful place, all is good. <laughs> There's a mess. I mean, we're messed up, really. And seriously messed up. And you know what the problem is? Sin. Which brings death. We have zombies walking around, people whose, whose souls are walking in darkness. Dead men and women walking, looking for life in all the wrong places. And so this is what happens. This is what happens as a result of the fall. We're messed up. We're selfish. And then once we, we're in a state of death, we constantly are trying to find some sort of life, something that will give us meaning, something that will give us fulfillment, something that will give us joy, and, and at least take away the pain. And so we're caught in this vicious cycle of doing... The more, the more stupid stuff that we do, the more guilt we find ourselves in, and the more, we try, the more desperately we try to find a solution. And seeing this morning is the Advent season, and this is the season where we remember what that God promised long ago, right from the garden in Genesis 3.15, what did God promise? That He was going to send a Savior, a Deliverer, right? He was going to send someone. What was the Savior going to do? He's going to deliver us from this death. Deliver us from this, the, the devil that has, has oppressed us. Deliver us from this sin, this state. And God had promised throughout, Thousands of years, right? That he'd send his deliverer, his Savior. And for a long time, God's people lived in anticipation, in longing. And this is what we do in the Advent season. We remember what God promised. That he promised to bring his Son. He promised to save us from our despicable state. He promised to deliver us. And of course, we know we have a distinct advantage. We're the most blessed of all because we're on the other side of the cross. And we know who that person is. And we know what he came to do. You think of so many people, how they just had the vague promise. Adam and Eve, they knew that they'd be the seed of a woman. Now, how is that? (laughs) Talk about confusing. But they knew God would deliver. And they had to wait. And so they waited and they waited and they waited. But the Deliverer came. And when the Deliverer comes, we think that Jesus came to deal... What did he came to do? He came to deal with the fundamental problem with all the earth. The fundamental problem with you and me. Sin and death. And our oppressor, the devil. He came to deal with it. However, what's odd is that if you're sitting here this morning and you're a Christian, and you know in your mind, yeah, Jesus came to bring life and life to the fullest. He came that we might be free. He came that we might be delivered from sin, death, and the devil. Does it feel like it? You know, so often in, in our Christian lives, it seems like I know that Jesus is to do these things, but it doesn't seem like that's what's happening. I read recently this book that I read years ago. It's called Classic Christianity, and it's got some really good stuff in it. And at the beginning, he describes what I think is so true of so many Christians. And I want to read it real quickly, and, and I think that it really is it's a good way of describing where so many of us find ourselves. It's the beginning of this chapter called Busy and Barren. It was another Monday morning, and I was inching along Central Expressway toward downtown Dallas and the busiest schedule you can imagine. Once again, my eyes clouded with tears as I sat immobile in the snarled traffic. Why was I so miserable? Why were tears becoming an almost daily experience? What made this condition all the more perplexing was that I was already doing all the quote-unquote right things. The Christian world said I should. I studied the Bible extensively, memorized hundreds of scriptures, witnessed to everybody I met, and prayed constantly. My church commitment was total. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night for visitations, a Wednesday night, plus other times for innumerable committee meetings. There wasn't much I, I could do, much more I could do in the church. But that's just the beginning. Wow. I was also in full-time Christian service, with the emphasis on full-time. I was teaching in the Bible college and serving as a minister of evangelism for one of the largest churches in America, while at the same time serving as president of a ministry which I had founded. Whoa! I was writing Bible study books, doing a daily 50-minute radio broadcast, and teaching seminars all over Dallas and around the country. Busy? You better believe it. My frustration had nothing to do with a desire for the world's goods. I had tried all that long ago in the business world. For all my adult life, to the age of 36, I worked to become a millionaire, seeking meaning and purpose to life and things. But that didn't bring satisfaction. I then then became the owner of my own thriving business, thinking that what I needed was to be my own boss. But that didn't change anything either. I socialized and even hobnobbed with Hollywood celebrities, but I found that they were just as empty as I was. I called it a life of cars, bars, and movie stars. But I still wasn't happy or fulfilled. Then, through a dramatic series of events, I learned that Jesus Christ had died for my sins and was raised again so that I might experience God's forgiveness and new life in Him. At that moment, I turned my life over to Christ. I prayed, Lord Jesus... If you can change me, come into me and do it. I sure need to be changed. And he did. For the first time in my life, I discovered what it was to experience love. God took a marriage that was healed from, headed for the rocks and put us back together. I learned for the first time the joys of being a father. I'd always been too busy before. No longer was, was I wrapped up in myself and, he, and headlong driving for success. I became more concerned with giving other, to other people the greatest message ever known to man and introducing people to the same Lord Jesus who had changed my life. Each day became a thrilling adventure. I had never been happier. But that was eight years ago. What happened? The tears only intensified flowing freely down my cheeks as I reviewed my life. I thought again of the words to a song by Andre Croach, Lord, take me back to the days when I first knew you. My heart was crying out to God as, as I softly sang the song to myself. It didn't make an ounce of sense. A few years earlier, my Christian life was vibrant, alive, thriving. Now it was tied up worse than this freeway traffic bogged down and barely inching along where had I gone wrong today I realize my experience was not unique as I talk with Christians all over the country I hear them say, asking what's wrong many of them are doing all the right things quote unquote, just as I did yet they feel like they're race, racing madly on a spiritual treadmill they're highly active but going nowhere Many go from seminar to seminar, tape series to tape series, book to book, desperately trying to find the missing link that will make the Christian life really work for them. One gener- our generation has more Christian learning resources available than any generation in history. But I have to ask are we really better off? Are we more joyful? Are we more faithful? Do we have a deeper experience of God and His love? And then just a little bit later on he says, we don't necessarily re- recognize that people, these people are hurting. On the outside they may be smiling, repeating the usual Christian cliches, and performing the expected church functions. But inside they know they're putting on an act. They would love to be free of the burden they deeply desire to share their fears, pains, doubts, but don't for fear of being condemned. So they suffer their own silent condemnation, wondering if God will ever find it in his heart to accept them. He goes on to say, is this then what Jesus had in mind when he talked about an abundant life? To which he answers, no. And then he spends the rest of the book explaining why. But I have a question for all of us. What is the problem? Now, last two weeks ago, I asked the question, what does sin do? To which the answer was, it brings death. So, it's interesting that as Christians, we often find ourselves doing all this stuff, being completely busy... Knowing absolutely that Jesus come to set the captives free. He come to take care of sin, death, and the devil. But what has gone wrong? What's happened? And I'm here to say as well, not just for the non-Christians, but for Christians, the answer again is sin. Now, that's simple, isn't it? That that doesn't solve anything, really. (laughs) Because for the most part, we get that, but we don't exactly get that. We don't know what that means. So I, I want us to, to spend some time here trying to understand what does it mean that sin gets into our lives and how does it impact our lives. And I want us to understand something about what Jesus came to do. We need to understand that truly sin, death, and the devil were dealt with, dealt with by Jesus. He did deal with them. But we don't always understand how it is that he dealt with them. When we become Christians, the power and penalty of sin is taken care of in the death of Jesus. And our life with God is reconciled through the resurrection of Jesus. We are brought back to life. Let me just read for you quickly. I know this is familiar to you, but in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 9, this is how he puts it. And this is really what happens to us as Christians. And you were dead, did you hear that? And you were dead, but you were alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Following the devil under his rule. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of the mankind. But God, now this is the state we're in, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised up with Him, and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so no one should boast. What did Jesus do? Jesus did what, Jesus, sorry, redeemed what was lost in Adam. In Adam, we were taken out of the garden. We were removed from God subjected under the power of sin and the dominion of the evil one, living in a state of death. But in Christ, we're brought back in to the garden temple in the heavenly places. Did you notice how he said that? We're raised with Christ and seated with him where? In heavenly places were brought back in, drawn near to God. And all the way throughout the Old Testament, you know, one thing that God's people could never do, they could never go inside. They could never go back to the garden. They could never go into the temple. They could never go into the Holy of Holies. They could, God was showing that I am going to bring, I'm going to reconcile us again and you're going to come back. And now we're united in Christ, we're united with God in the garden temple. However, even though we're brought back into the garden temple where you reconciled to God, raised with Christ and forgiven our sins, we all will notice something about our Christian lives. Sin still remains in our flesh. It still remains. And it will not be removed until the resurrection. So there's nothing you can do about it. Your flesh will remain your flesh till the day you die. And you're going to have to deal with it. It's going to be an issue for you. Here's the good thing. When we sin, unlike Adam, you know what happens? We're not immediately tossed out of the garden and separated from God. Isn't that amazing? You think of that for a moment. Adam, the moment you sin, you die and you're separated outside the garden. Well, when we sin, we still remain in God's house. So that's That's incredible that we're not, we don't have to, Jesus hasn't be sacrificed all over again. We don't have to be outside and redo the whole process. We become children. We, beca- we get to draw near. We're in the household. And as a result, sin no longer has the same power. It no longer creates the same kind of death, even though, sure enough, it does create a death. Having said that, however, There's something we need to understand. As Christians, sin still brings a kind of death in relationships. Sin still comes the same way. How does it come to us? It comes by way of tempting lie. Delicious lie the enemy puts in our minds. And then what do we do? We believe it. We go after it and sin. And what happens? There's a kind of It's not the same kind of death Adam experienced because of what Jesus has done, but there's a kind of death that happens as a result. The problem here's the problem, though. When I say the word sin, we often think of big sins, the bigger ones, which we all know that we're supposed to repent of. We get that. But what I want us to see is that even the smaller sins in our lives, the issues in our lives, they create problems. Do you want to know why we we live frustrated Christian lives? Do you want to know why we have the issues we have? It's sin. But it isn't the big stuff that you're thinking about. Turn, if you, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. I want us to see the effects of, of even... Sins you might not even think of as sins, and what it does to relationships, our relationship with God. Revelation chapter 2 through 3. Here John is speaking to the churches, the seven churches in Asia. And each church, Jesus speaks to them in regard to what they're doing well, in regard to what they're not doing so well, in regard to how he calls them to repentance. And so in Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 1, This is to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, but are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So here you have a church that is known for a lot of good things, right? A lot of good things are going on. They're obviously well taught. And how do we know that? Well, because they're, they've tested the so-called apostles and proved them to be false. You couldn't do that unless you had a really good understanding of the ways of God. But what's the deal here? I find this quite fascinating, actually. Jesus is about to remove their lampstand because they have lost their love and zeal for God. Which they had at the beginning. Now, do you typically think of that when I ask? If I was to ask you, what, when I say the word sin, what comes to your mind? First on the list, losing your first God is your first love. No, it does, does it even register? Usually not. We don't think of it. Yet, yet, what does Jesus say here? He says that, you know, this is a problem, and if you don't repent of it, I'm going to remove your lampstand. You'll basically have no, you have no witness in this city whatsoever you will be you'll become dead so our lack of love for god is enough to receive a serious warning of jesus removing his lampstand does that does that not strike you as fairly significant that strikes me as like oh wow <laughs> that's something like how well how much my love for god that's just you know that's just that's the normal christian experience right the older you get, the colder it is. Well, no, it's, apparently it's an issue. But there's more. Now look at another church. Turn over to Revelation chapter 3, the next chapter. Chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This is the church in Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write... The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Wow. So clearly there are some relational problems here with Jesus and the church. The church and Jesus have something, a problem. And here's what's interesting. They have a reputation for being alive. So what, is that, what do you think that means? probably—they probably, If you are to watch them and see them, they're probably a, pretty, a very lively bunch. And they've got a reputation by, because of their liveliness. But it's ironic about Jesus. Doesn't he always do this? He doesn't really care too much about how well you're doing on the outside. He knows exactly what's going on in the heart. This is what he does in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He cuts right to it. But you are dead, he says. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. You're apathetic. And it's a problem. And again, you're thinking, wow, that's a problem. It is. It's a serious problem. And if, you know, what's interesting is that if they don't repent of this hypocritical living, putting on the show, yet being dead inside, he says, I'm going to come against you like a thief in the night. Whoa. Again, it's serious. Jesus doesn't want us to play around with deadness in our souls. But, you know... There's, there's one more church I want us to look at. And again, it just hits this point over. Turn down in verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so that because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing, and realize it, but not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to, salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love... Here's what's interesting. Listen to this. Those whom I love... I reprove and discipline. I basically do what I'm doing right now. Don't find this as harsh and mean. This is love. When I love you, I'm going to point it out to you. I'm going to expose you, and I'm going to show you the issue. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now these Christians are simply lukewarm. Completely indifferent and apathetic. They aren't dead, but they're close to it, apparently. So Jesus is about to spit them out of their mouths unless they repent. And you know what's interesting is that we're all at different places. You know, some people, they go from like just completely lukewarm and apathetic to actually immoral depravity. <laughs> and, and if you look at these seven churches, they're all over the map, just like so many of us. We're at different places in our lives. But Jesus, what I find interesting is that no matter where we're at, sometimes I think with our apathy and our indifference and our just our deadness, or like, we, we think of that as, as, uh, as okay. Because after all, like, look at my life. I, I'm not involved in anything heinous. I've not really got a little bad stuff going on. So, well, you know, it's a big deal. Well, apparently it's a very big deal, and, and we know it is. Here's the thing. Jesus is outside. This is what I find fascinating. Here, what's the Laodiceans doing? They're gathering together to worship who? Jesus. Where's Jesus? Outside. <laughs> Knocking. Hello? Anybody home? Uh, someone to really make it about me? So I want us to see something here because I think it really relates. We can can, so often in our Christian lives, at some point in our lives, we can so relate to this. Sin has consequences even for Christians. And what's fascinating is here Jesus is loving and reproving his church. You notice that he's still, it's unlike the garden scenario that I described. At the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, they were put out. But his church, if you look at some of these churches, all kinds of stuff is happening. Some gross immorality is taking place. But Jesus is still with his church, working with his church. Still there. The relationship still exists. Which is a wonderful blessing to know that when we sin, it's not like cut off, out. No, you're in the house, but it's causing problems. and needs to be dealt with. And the kind of sin doesn't have to be the big, obvious stuff, as hopefully we can see. It's even those, those sins that we everyday Christians have in our hearts, but no one really pays attention to. In fact, after a while, we give them pet names. Sins like pride, lust, envy, hate, unbelief, etc. How many of you Christians do you know who love their enemies and do good to them? How many won't confess their sins to others because of their pride? How many have secret porn problems in the church? How many are racked with anxiety and depression because they believe lies instead of God's promises? How many gossip and slander others because they don't like them? How many envy what others have in light of what you don't have? How many are bitter for what is done to them? And we can keep going. And of course, a lot of these are obvious, but you know what happens so often is with so many sins, we can can kind of like get very comfortable with them in the community. There are sins that are taboo. If you were to mention them, it was like, (gasps) you want to suck the air out of the room? But there are sins that we could just talk about and just, oh yeah, that's hilarious. That's exactly what I, I got the same one, you know, that are just, they're friendly. We, we get used to them. They are just there. But you realize something: sin has consequences on relationships, especially our relationship with God. And it doesn't take a whole lot to see this. Just understand. Think of how. Think of this in our in your homes. You all go home, right? Have relationships in those homes. Now, when somebody sins against the yeah, other, they're not thrown out of the house and lose the name and cut off, and you know, they're, no. It just, it affects the relationship. If I have a, think of how small it needs to be. If I have a bad attitude toward my wife, and that sometimes can be communicated in silence, can't it? How does that affect the relationship? Well, it can deeply affect the relationship. You can have a serious problem in your home, can't you? Have you ever had serious problems in your home from a bad attitude? Of course you have. Bad attitudes, when people have bad attitudes, it creates relational problems. Now, how many people think, oh, bad attitudes, they're way up there? Well, in our homes we get, we understand how relationships are hurt and wounded and broken by even coldness and indifference. Just treat somebody with a cold shoulder and then all of a sudden they're wondering what's wrong. Nothing. What do you mean nothing? Why are you treating me like this? No reason. What are you talking about? No reason. There's got to be a reason. Why are you so cold and different? I'm not cold and different. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. There's a relationship problem. (laughs) I'm telling you. And it doesn't have to be that big. We all get and understand this in our own homes. We understand if relationships are not doing well, there's a sin issue going on that's not being dealt with. No matter how small you might think it is, even your bad attitude. You want to repair the relationship with your wife when you have a bad attitude and you're, you're being grumpy? Well, confess your grumpiness to them and deal with it and resolve it and restore the relationship. That's what we do. That's what we, we know we have to do. If we want to have a good relationship, we can't carry on like this. And here's, here's the thing about sin and consequences. Do you realize they're a beautiful thing? Do you realize pain is good? I thought the other day, could you imagine not having any sensitivity to the pain of heat and all of a sudden you're eating this boiling hot soup and your lip starts falling off and you're wondering what happened? Isn't it good that you like are aware and it caused you to pull back? It's a blessing. Pain, the same way in relationship, in a relationship with God, if things aren't going well, if things aren't doing well, if we were to ask ourselves that question that was asked on that paper, how are you doing? And we're not doing well. What is the reason for it? Simple answer, sin. In its many different looks. In its many different manifestations. And primarily, undealt with sin. Because like any relationship, you know what happens when you deal with it? You know, you can have an absolutely sweet relationship, delightful, even after some horrible things take place. Sometimes, from the reconciliation process, do you realize your relationship? You probably, if you're married, you realize this. It gets better as long as you deal with it. If as long as you deal with it, it can really, it can get deeper, it can get better. But if you don't deal with it and and you leave it there, it's it's ugly. And you can sure you live under the same roof, and sure you have the same name, and sure you same, share the same uh, same address. But it's just not good. And yet, sometimes we think of our relationship with God in, in different categories, in different terms. We got to understand that we're in His house, in Christ, we're His child, and all that. That's good. That's right. But sometimes, what we if if we are like. Have issues of indifference and complacency and apathy, or pride, or or we're, we're dealing with all kinds of issues that we shouldn't be dealing with. You can, you will truly, you will truly sense a break in fellowship. You will sense distance, and you will not be doing well. You're, it will not be well with your soul. You will not have joy. You will not have life overflowing. And here's the deal. Do you realize that what you need to do is repent? Because what if Jesus in every single one of these churches, you know what he calls them to do? Repent. That's what you're going to do. Repent. And until we really understand what it means to repent... Because there's, there's actually, I think, a lot of false notions about what repentance is. Because you know what happens? You give an, a word enough time and words become cliche. Which means we all say it, we all use it, but we're not even all sure what it means anymore. You just say it. Oh, well, what do you do when you sin? What are you supposed to do? Come on, everybody says repent, right? That's what the Bible says. We all know that word. And yet we get everything from you know what that means to some people is merely feeling sorry like, somebody says, well, I repented because, man, I just felt really bad about that. To, to, maybe someone says that confession is uh, sorry, repentance is confession, and maybe somebody says repentance is a change of action. You, you're doing this, and now you do that. And I guarantee it, I know that there's enough confusion and misunderstanding, even about the word that we all assume. It's, it just, it's just cliche. You just say it. We know what it means. Repent. That's, that's what we do. And everybody, this notion of it seems to be a little bit different. And what's interesting is that if we don't know how to repent, then we don't know how to restore relationships. We don't know what it means to go from being dead to alive, from being lukewarm to on fire. We don't know. And we have to understand that. And because that's such a big issue... Next week's sermon is all on repentance. we we'll talk talking about what is biblically repentance because I'm going to confess something to you. I really think I had it wrong for a long time. And, and, I, and there are some important things about repentance that we need to understand. So if you're interested in finding out, come back next week. <laughs> Oh, that one's really good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? So here's something I want us to leave thinking about Is it possible? Is it possible that you're in here worshiping Jesus, but he's out there knocking? possible isn't it all you need to have is a church of lukewarm people apparently and that strikes me actually like wow what a rebuke it's like we're in here going through the motions this is all about jesus but you know just think of it for a moment where was your heart that whole the whole service we've had till now because often he is a heart cold, and indifferent. There's words, man. You're drifting off, thinking about what you're going to do later. What's going on, you know? Tonight, this afternoon. I wonder what's, you know. You're just all over the place. The focus is anywhere but Jesus. He really isn't the center, and I find that quite striking and quite concerning, even for myself. And so I want us to. I want us to leave here today thinking, asking ourselves some real questions about our relationship with God. Where is it at? Where is it at? When you check those boxes today, where were you at? In true honesty, is your heart, is is, is life overflowing? Or are you near dead? Where are you at? And if you don't have life overflowing, why? Why? It's because you have sin that you're not dealing with. What are you to do? Repent. Father, I thank you so much that we have we have your word because apart from it we'd be done. I thank you that we've we're children, that in Christ we've been brought into your home. We've been given your name. We've been made your children. I'm thankful that we We are rebuked by you. We're corrected by you. I'm thankful, Father, that you don't leave us, but you give us even the pain and the sting that comes from sin. I'm thankful, Father, that you will not allow my circumstances to be just rosy, but you truly do affect our hearts and our minds by what we're going through in life, that you try to constantly get a hold of us, And grab our attention so that we might repent. Oh, Father, have mercy on us. Please help us to see. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. So that we would see, that we would hear, that we would repent and turn to you properly. In Christ we ask. Amen. Amen.